How do you know you're up to date? When you follow EMS World, you answer that question with confidence. Because when we say EMS World, we mean the whole world of EMS. The remaining question for you is how will you stay up to date? In print, online, at EMS World Expo, the world's largest EMS dedicated conference, and now in a podcast. Welcome to day two, episode six of our live from the Expo Floor podcast series. We certainly had a great day yesterday, filled with really awesome guests, and I promise you, today will be no different. Here with me to kick off the day is Dr. C.J. Winkler. Dr. Winkler is the Deputy Medical Director for the San Antonio Fire Department. Most notably, he is responsible for rolling out the whole blood program for his agency in association with UT Health San Antonio. Doc, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Doc, this is pretty innovative stuff. Um, Why do you feel that this was necessary in the pre-hospital setting? You know, we're in San Antonio, military city, USA. And over the last two wars, they have coined a term, point of injury care, where you treat the patient where they're injured with the appropriate treatment. No ER doctor in the country would ever give a patient in hemorrhagic shock normal saline or lactated ringers, all that EMS has. So since we're in San, uh, you know, San Antonio, Military City, USA, we borrowed that concept. And what the military calls point of injury care, I call EMS. <laughs> and so there we are. And we're, I'm like, you know, we'll borrow these concepts cross-level and we'll give blood to the patient where they need it. And to touch upon that, you know, in my opinion, many of our greatest innovations... Uh, in medicine are born from the military. And I would argue that this is no different. Yeah, this is no different. As a matter of fact, I would say we're just, you know, revitalizing an old concept. World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, you might have heard of those. Those all used whole blood on soldiers in the field and in the forward hospitals and whole blood at that. So this concept has been around for a long time. We seem to keep forgetting these lessons, but I think now that it's going to be out in the civilian uh, you know, EMS systems, we won't forget. I feel like we, in, on many occasions, lag behind, obviously, in some of these things that we find in the military, specifically tourniquets. I mean, how is this much different? Yeah, this is, this is very similar. For every uh, person that trained me in the 1990s and told me tourniquets didn't work, shame on you. Correct. They worked. And, you know, we have to keep relearning these lessons Hopefully, if we deploy them in the civilian EMS setting, we won't forget them. But tourniquets work, backboards don't. Everything I was everything I was taught in paramedic school seems to so uh, true. seems to be wrong from, it, it really from the eighties and nineties. And 90s. guess what? More things will be wrong in the coming years. There's no question about it. It's just that we're lagging behind. I, I, and I think that you know taking that progressive approach is what we need to do as a profession we need to start looking into these things and seeing you know does this data actually make sense or are we just doing this because we've always done it yeah absolutely i mean i just think back when i was a paramedic in you know fayette county uh city of lagrange is there like the zz top song right <laughs> yeah. that's way out in the middle of nowhere and i just think of all those patients i gave two large bore ivs in you know hemorrhagic shock a trauma patient on car wreck on I-10 there and gave him the five liters of normal saline, you know, like I, I was told to do and just 
you know, working against myself and working against the patient. I'm fixing one number of blood pressure, but I'm just, you know, not fixing anything else and actually harming the patient as far as the blood. So, you know, I think that uh, going forward, hopefully that we'll we'll learn some lessons from uh, my misadventures, probably your misadventures. Yep. But that's that's the evidence we had. And to to circle back to what you, your your statement is that we need to measure this. We need evidence based medicine and EMS. We've we've never had it so good as we have now. We have dedicated clinical researchers in EMS, and that you know that is that is the future. And that's how we're going to do what we're going to do and do it correctly. Yeah. And, and you, you know, you were just explaining to me offline that you were just in a lecture with some of the other uh, physicians in there. And you were, you were looking at them saying, all right, let me see your data, right? I mean, because, you know, truth be told, in, in some of the reading that I had done on this program, you had a, a lot easier of a situation in Texas implementing this. Yeah. So it, it really can't be... Um, overstated that Texas equals freedom I love that when it comes to EMS um, and some other things but we'll stick with EMS for this <laughs> podcast so you know and, and what I mean by that is Texas is a delegated practice of EMS medicine so that means as a EMS physician or medical director I can tell my medic to do you know brain surgery um, I can tell right. them to transfuse blood as long as you have a training program and you're going to look at the data and so forth. I think all of that really lines up with good medicine. As a matter of fact, it lines up perfectly with how medicine gets to be done in a hospital setting. You know, that that's what you do. So um, we did not have to go through some of the hurdles and difficulties that other states, cities would have to go through. Yeah, certainly a benefit on, on your part to, to have that in place. Now, let's get down to this program, you know, from the basics. So talk to me a little bit about whole blood and why this is a good thing as opposed to component pieces of this, which have, has been done in the past. Why is whole blood beneficial to transfuse over component? Yeah, great question. Well, let's go back to your, uh, when you first learned to ride your bicycle, I don't know, five, six, or seven, depending on how coordinated you were. Right. Uh, probably seven Four, for me. Fourteen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, when when you got in your wreck on your bicycle and blood fell out of your arm, w when you ran home to mama, you told her, blood, you have blood on your arm. And that is what whole blood is. It's blood. Every seven-year-old knows it. But what happened in medicine is for some reason physicians, I guess I have to take some responsibility, although this happened before I was a physician, is that we broke blood into its components. Okay. And that's platelets, plasma, and red blood cells. Right. So the most simple way to say it is when you bleed out of your arm and you're seven years old and you've, you've wrecked your bicycle, um, that's whole blood coming out. Now, let's take that to the extreme and say you're an adult that's in a car wreck or, or heaven forbid, you have a gunshot wound. Um, that is whole blood that's falling out. Let's put whole blood back in. If you have three components on the ambulance, you have three donors. So you have an increased risk for, you know, a reaction or some type of uh, adverse event. You have three different donors with the platelets, plasma and, and red blood cells. And frankly, you can't keep platelets more than two to five days. Right. They only last two to five days. So how would you even keep that third component no. on your shelf in the truck? It'd be a ton of waste. Yeah. And so we have red blood cells, the CPDA1, a uh, fancy way to say the, the additive that keeps it uh, viable, the whole blood viable for 35 days. Uh, you set that on your shelf. That's over a month. And, you know, you, ha you can transfuse it 
at any time. One product is in the back of the unit, you know, everyone that's been back there, you hang one unit of whole blood or you have to hang three separate units of components. It's just, it's a no-brainer. It is a no-brainer. Now, when you implement this, uh, when initially when you rolled this out, I believe there were eight units within San Antonio Fire that were carrying this. Has that increased at this point, or are you still in that number and that range? Yeah, great question. So we ha- still have eight units. Two are on ambulances, and six are on supervisor EMS supervisor vehicles. Pretty t- traditional EMS supervisor vehicle. Uh, it's a truck with the big box on the back, and they carry blood. Um, we all we do have one other unit for our EMS fellows, which are in the. Uh, respond in their Tahoe in their in their fly vehicle and they have blood as well when they respond they're not 24 7 but they're out there so we have eight and a half units if if you will but the those were all picked to be in the in the part of in the correct zip code to get the blood to the right patient so we actually looked at who needed blood from trauma over a year and a half we knew that they got massive transfusions at the trauma center we have two we have a military trauma center level one and a civilian level one trauma center and we looked at who needed blood and um, can never get a podcast out without saying Dr. Jenkins' name. So thanks for doing that, Don. Um, And uh, we looked at where they needed blood, and we analyzed, and it was perfectly lined up on the heat map with where our MOF units, that's our EMS supervisor units, were. And so it kind of made sense. Someone probably did a heat map back in the day before there were such things as heat maps, and they knew where to place those units. So um, we did place them on the EMS supervisor vehicle and they can be, they can assign themselves. They can be assigned by dispatch. We built a whole protocol for medical or trauma patients for the EMS supervisor to get there. Okay. How do they store it on, on the units? Yeah, great question. So sometimes our EMS units and, and ambulance, um, units or, or MOF units are out there for 12 hours at a time, typical urban system you know, 24 hour shift, don't get back to the station. How are you going to keep this blood cold right. for, for that time in South Texas? Nonetheless, yeah, I no. mean, it's a, you got a lot going against yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. It's 180 degrees, uh, in, you know, the end of September right. the other day. So, so it's, it's difficult to keep that blood cold. Luckily again, leaning heavily on military experience, we have coolers and these coolers are, um, Yeti on steroids. I was right? just going to say these they, are your Yetis. These right? are these are the, these are the beast of the beast <laughs> coolers, and they actually can keep this blood cold. And, and it's validated. Our blood pathologists that listen in love to hear that word. It's valid. We validated these coolers, and they can keep that blood from one to six degrees Celsius for 24 hours. And then, so we keep a that cooler on the truck with the blood, and we have a, a backup cooler in, or the rotation cooler would be the better way to say it in the freezer and every morning just like the indiana jones we switch the blood from one cooler to the other and then put the cooler that's been on the truck all day back in the freezer and it's as simple as that it's actually lines up nicely we we do that every day because we check our narcotics every day at the beginning of the shift so it's kind of a it's just part of the process part of the checkout yeah Yeah, it's it's a part of checkout now let me ask you this so you have the blood on the supervisor units now are the supervisors the ones that are administering the blood or is it administered by all the medics it's just that arrives by the supervisor how does that work it can work either way so i would say the majority of the time the supervisor gets on the scene and they'll ride in with the medic and then we're fire-based dms in san antonio so and then the uh one of the firefighters will drive the supervisor vehicle to the hospital or it gets left on scene depends so the 
So the supervisor will ride in the back and they're kind of focused on the blood. They're the experts. I, one of my EMS supervisors has transfused over 50 pre-hospital whole blood units. It's probably the most wow. in the country. Yeah. So we've done over, we're getting close to 800 units transfused since okay. October of 2018. So they'll get in the back. Sometimes if it's a mass cal, the EMS supervisor for logistic reasons will need to stay on scene and tell the next unit where to go and, and find the patients and so forth. So every paramedic is trained just to transfuse the blood. Yeah. I, I was just going to ask you that. And, you know, then then let's bring in the intimidation factor and the skill degradation factor on something like this. Now, I'm not saying that this should elicit that type of emotion, but as is with everything in EMS, change brings about a certain anxiety measure, right? So I'm curious, it, did that happen? Like when you first brought this online, was it like, oh, whoa, wait a minute, what are we doing? So not so much from paramedics, maybe from my physician colleagues. Okay. Um, <laughs> but the paramedics, um, sure, they need... So we teach CE in my shop, the Office of the Medical Director. We teach CE every year. So I teach CE. We went through the whole class. We had the the EMS supervisors. Um, they're, they're called medical officers, MOFs. Um, they came in and helped me teach. We went through the whole program. I explained all the things that can happen, typical allergic reactions, transfusion reactions. We talked about the concept of blood types, and this is low titer O positive, whole blood when I say blood. Um, we talked about the concepts, why we couldn't use O negative blood, and went through a training scenario. And we also have a quarterly incumbent, medical incumbent training that we also retrain and refresh and make sure everyone's comfortable. Because, you know, 800 uh, whole blood transfusions is a lot, but we have 1,500, you know, responders. So not everyone has always been involved. So we want to make sure that skill, skill degradation doesn't happen. And as far as liability... I think it's okay if we're a little nervous about it. It is an organ that we are transfusing pre-hospital right. in my in my eyes. So let's let's take it seriously. Let's let's um, use it for the right patients. But uh, you know, I think we have a training uh, algorithm to answer that. Interesting. And I'm I'm curious also, and maybe it has nothing to do with this, but when you rolled this out, did you have the the you know, the thought of active shooter in mind, um, you know, obviously we're seeing such an uptick of that over the you know, past 10 years. Um, was this something that was in mind when you were doing this for like mass cal type stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm also the medical director for Wilson County ISD3 and most people know it because Sutherland Springs yep. is in Wilson County. Um, so that is definitely on our mind and we have a mass cal plan we have 20 to 30 units of available, whole blood available to pick up by one of our MOFs, or we have a helicopter at SAFD, and we can get that to the scene. So there was an active shooter the other day at a school in Houston. Yesterday, and right? Wasn't it? Was I, it yesterday or two days ago? Uh, well, there might have been another one. Yeah, I know there was yeah. one. Uh, I think it was on Friday. Okay. But I could be misspeaking, but there was one on Friday, and um, we were geared up. We actually, the blood pathologist, Dr. Gomez, like she knew about it I knew about it we all knew about it so we're like all right we may need to send blood down there if this is an active incident etc so we that was always on our mind the the asper um, the exchange journal from the assistant secretary for preparedness response uh, sorry if anyone just passed out while I had to get through that <laughs> title but the the asper Tracy um, basically calls for urban systems to respond with medics and blood in mass mass cal incidents and mass shooter incidents so i mean the government's asking us to do it so it's definitely on our mind and we have a plan are you seeing more agencies coming online with this you know just through your just through your circle of physicians are you seeing more buy-in on this and implementation 
Yeah, so um, we are, and we have a lot of, it's not just San Antonio Fire Department, we have an entire region with blood. Um, helicopters started first in 2018 for the for the South Texas region. It's called STRAC, it's our Regional Advisory Council. It's, it's a trauma, uh, governmental organization essentially for trauma that does a whole bunch of other stuff. But they basically tie all these agencies together and so we have it on helicopters, we have it on ambulances. As a matter of fact, on my phone, we have a group me, so I know the par level for whole blood in the South 22 county region. I know the par level of blood. It's about 70 to 75 units every day. It's updated every day. We know where all our blood is on every unit. Now, outside of South Texas region, it gets a little more complicated. Right. Because we have a fantastic partner in South Texas Blood and Tissue Center and University Hospital where we're able to um, get our blood, from the blood pathologist at South Texas Blood and Tissue Center for all of EMS, flight, ground, et cetera, our whole blood. And then if we don't use it, we give it back to the blood center and they give it to the university hospital and, tra and trauma surgeons use it. Okay. So basically we don't waste any blood, none. That's awesome. Yeah. You keep mentioning this one little unicorn that makes this whole thing go. <laughs> Maybe you can just touch upon that piece that everybody would really need for this thing to take off. Well. You know, every good program is about relationships. Yep. And there could not be two more different subspecialty physicians or physician types in the country than EMS physician and blood pathologist. Right. I don't think if you had a Cartesian coordinate, you could, <laughs> we would wrap around that thing and probably, you know, potentially touch each other on the back end, which has just happened on this. Like we actually are shoulder to shoulder on this. And, and we have a, um, a blood pathologist at South Texas Blood and Tissue Center. Um, and her name is Sam Gomez. And she has been with the program in lockstep from the beginning. They have a brothers in arms program where they have a, a separate service line donor pool for whole blood. Wow. Uh, I mean, they have a 90% show rate. They never, these brothers in arms never cancel. They always show up for their appointments. And we also have a walking blood program that they would show up to a grocery store parking lot like HEB in Texas, and they could donate fresh warm blood but that that's that might be another question here but texas. so we're <laughs> texas equals freedom texas is freedom <laughs> so so you know without her that program wouldn't work and, and just as importantly on the receiving end at the trauma center we have another blood pathologist uh dr leslie grebon that also accepts the blood from from the ambulance and a, and a big question blood pathologists and lab directors have is how can we be certain you can keep this blood cold and you know i've I've learned from talking to them, everything's about trust and relationships, and we have a, a safety view temp dot on the blood. We have wireless temp monitoring in the blood cooler. But more importantly, it's just them trusting us. And part of that, I, I finally learned how to frame the argument by saying, you know, we actually carry a more regulated drug on our truck, and it, it, they're called narcotics. Right. And that's DEA. Those dudes have guns. We keep it locked up. There's a risk of diversion. So we... As EMS, we've been good stewards, I, I think, in my estimation, we've been good stewards of the narcotics for pain management pre-hospital, and I'm able to use that leverage of doing that for so long to say we can actually keep blood in a cooler. We're capable. You know, Doc, this, this truly is really cool stuff, and I've had a blast talking to you about it because 
you know, one of the benefits that I have doing this podcast is learning as I'm as I'm listening. And, um, you know, it's obviously really cutting edge type stuff that you have going on down there. Um, I want to commend you on leading that program um, and coming on and, and just, you know, speaking to the to the listeners about this. Is, is there a way that folks could learn a little bit more about this program? Is there a, a site that they could go to? Um, anything that they, if they're interested in, you know, looking at this, especially administration and, and agency heads, where can they go? Yeah, there's quite a few things you can do. One is um, strac.org, um, blood, or you can just Google S-T-R-A-C, put a space in and put blood. And that website will uh, include a lot of research articles and a lot of how-tos. And, you know, we have uh, pamphlets to hand a hospital or a little plastic laminated card to hand a hospital to say, you know, the product we gave, um, you know, nothing's a secret. We've written about this in the Transfusion Journal uh, about our process. So there's that to do. And in addition, you're always welcome to email me or I cannot get through a, a podcast without saying Lieutenant William Bullock, who is the operational side to my medical side for the department. And he and I have talked to everyone from FDNY to Seattle, University of Washington. We, you know, we help them uh, with advice, uh, Oklahoma, we've, we've talked to a whole bunch of folks about it. We're an open book. We just want everyone to be able to, you know, to replicate what we have, or at least, uh, help us maybe learn what we could do better as well. Well, Dr. CJ Winkler, honestly, some really great stuff. Thank you for sharing. And I hope that this might be a catalyst for other agencies to explore this truly innovative approach to pre-hospital resource practice. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Mike. And thanks for listening to episode six, live from the expo floor. Stay tuned as we're rolling out 13 episodes over our time here. I'm your host, Mike McCabe. Thanks for tuning in. This has been an episode of EMS World Podcast. You can find this audio and more like it on the podcast page of emsworld.com. You can also follow EMS World on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 